Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24. Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. Asgardia by WSO2 is a developer-focused identity and access management solution. Offered as Identity as a Service, or IDAS, Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. Hello, everybody. This is Sean Martin, and you're very welcome to a new Redefining Cybersecurity podcast here on ITSP Magazine. And uh, sometimes I'm joined by my co-founder, Marco. He's off in space somewhere doing some other things. I'm, I'm flying solo today uh, in uh, the, the atmosphere somewhere, and I'm joined by two guests who are going to talk to us about uh, satellite security and probably uh, broader space security as satellites connect to that. And uh, Marco and I have had many, many conversations on uh, this topic Um where satellites don't just play a role in space, but uh, also in terrestrial uh, activities and, and maritime activities and a bunch of things. So they, they have a hand in a lot of stuff, <laughs> which I'm sure uh, our guests uh, today will, will share with us. And on the show, we have Logan Finch and Jason Williams. Thanks, guys, for, for being on. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. So very quickly, um, Maybe just a few words from each of you so uh, folks know who they're hearing from, uh, what you do, why you do it, and why uh, specifically Hackasat uh, is uh, something that you're so interested in. Logan, you first. Sure. Um, so I'm the uh, technical lead um, for the Hackasat CTF at Cromulence. Um, that's the company that Jason and I um, both work for. Um, Jason's the CEO. Um, and I'm an engineer that's working on the Hackasat CTF. Uh, my background is in aerospace engineering. Um, I was brought on to Cromulence to build this CTF, which um, builds, which creates um, a CTF around space systems and space cybersecurity. Um, so my background being in space, I understand um, you know space systems um, from you know from a holistic level ground system, the satellite, and kind of everything in between. Um, so then I came to Cromulence, which is more of a cybersecurity company, to help them build the CTF and make it realistic in terms of how it uh, you know, maps into realistic systems. Yeah, and I, I'm sure we'll touch on that because that's probably one of the 
biggest challenges is putting this stuff in the hands of people who uh, need to test it <laughs> to see where, where the boundaries are and, and how those boundaries can be, uh, be exceeded and the systems be, be uh, misused for uh, nefarious purposes. Uh, Jason, a little bit about yourself. Yeah, like Logan said, uh, I'm the CEO of Cromulence. Uh, just a little background, uh, Cromulence is a national defense contractor specializing in cybersecurity for the U.S. government. Um, a little about myself, um, I've been doing cybersecurity for a little over 15 years now. Started as an electrical engineer and a software engineer and then found my way into um, securing software systems, uh, evaluating software systems, assessing them. Uh, and then, you know, co-founded this company uh, around it with a specialization really in, you know, space systems, uh, embedded systems and so forth. Love it. And I, I don't know who wants to take this, but what I'd like to do first is maybe just get a, an overview of what's involved with a satellite system. And we, we can connect it to space exploration to start and, and if you want to touch on some of the other things that i mentioned like maritime or uh or weather <laughs> which is an important topic at the moment uh we, we can certainly go there uh but what what's involved because I, I can picture ground-based systems and in orbit-based systems i don't know if there's anything in between obviously the communications there's software and sensors and all kinds of stuff maybe who, who can give us an overview what's involved in in this whole picture I can grab that one, Jason, if you'd like. Sure. So space systems from a high level. Um, well, first you have the satellite, right? That's that's the kind of the, the obvious part that everybody thinks about. Um, you know, the satellites in orbit around Earth, um, depending on what the mission of the satellite is, there's a lot of different orbit types that, you know, provide different, um, that provide different geometries for different missions and, you know, allow the satellite to do whatever it's up there for. And I guess in this time, you know, we'll kind of scope it down. We're talking about satellites going around Earth uh, rather than, you know, um, other spacecraft that might be, you know, leaving Earth and going to Mars or something like that. But um, I digress. Um, so for satellites, you know, orbiting around Earth, they're doing their mission. Well, that's, you know, just a very small part of um, a very complicated system. The satellite itself, obviously, a complicated embedded system. Um, you know, a lot of them take, you know, years of development um, at least traditionally, you know, the big, um, some of the larger satellites that are that are up there, um, thinking things like GPS and weather satellites. Um, those are, you know, large vehicles that have, you know, gone through a lot of development. Um, and they have to work. Um, then there's, the, you know, these whole new round of satellites, all these small satellites, um, CubeSat sometimes you'll hear, small satellites, nano satellites, are smaller satellites. And there's a lot of, you know, startup work companies that are building these um, to do missions at, you know, much cheaper um, than previous missions were able to be accomplished. They may not have the exact same capabilities as these, you know, large systems, you know, built by governments or, um, you know, large contractors, but they're much cheaper to produce and build. So that's the space side of things. And then you have, you know, the, the link going up and down. So it's some sort of communications link. Um, um, usually, traditionally, that's been um, over radio, so RF links. Um, people are investigating using more advanced things like lasers and stuff like that for higher data rates in the future. Um, this, but that's all been done. It's just not um, necessarily the, the primary way that most satellites are controlled. Then um, for most systems, you have a large amount of software and system running on the ground. So you have whatever's controlling the satellite, 
Um, so there's some sort of system or software that can send commands and receive data from the satellite, um, retrieve the mission data. So whatever the satellite's up there needs to send down its data or uplink um, files or you know configurations to modify the behavior of the satellite. Uh, and all throughout this entire kind of chain, there's cybersecurity issues at play. Um, some of them are really obvious and some of them are, you know, um, much less obvious, but still equally important. Um, and traditionally, this, the space industry has kind of, you know, relied on security through obscurity and some, you know, oh, we're, you know, we're, we're not that interesting. Nobody's going to be going after us type stuff um, to avoid, um, you know, a lot of cybersecurity practices. But I think that's, you know, changing and changing really fast right now. And as you're describing some of that, some of those elements, um, I couldn't help think about uh, industrial control systems and critical mm -hmm. infrastructure, which perhaps this even fits in as a category. Um, and the, a lot of those systems, SCADA systems, for example, uh, weren't originally designed to connect to things yeah. or mm -hmm. the internet more specifically. And that poses a lot of problems. Uh, th this sounds obviously that like it has a connection design built in from the mm -hmm. ground up, but it, but you, you just mentioned that it's secured through security through obscurity is, is kind of the main method. Um, what challenges do we have going back uh, if that's the case, if, if security wasn't built in by design, what challenges do we have going back to kind of fix some of these things? Uh, yeah. I, th I think Sean, you brought up some, some interesting analogs, uh, you know, Obviously, uh, industrial control systems have some similarities there. Um, one of the ones that we've, you know, found with you know space systems is just the lifespan of these vehicles, the li uh, the lifespan of the operations, the systems involved, and things like that. So you have, you know, you have NOAA weather weather satellites that have been in operation for you know twenty years in some cases. Uh, you got to think about the state of cybersecurity, you know, twenty years ago, or even at the time at which these vehicles were designed. And we're talking like Windows, you know, 98, you know, time, time scales. I was going to joke with 95. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to go back that far, <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, but things in cybersecurity, just, just general concepts, um, you know, defense measures, certain, certain things like that. And even these concepts didn't even exist uh, back then. So, you know, we have systems that are in operation today that are, that are running without any of these kind of uh, security protections that we take for granted today on like desktop class systems and, and server class systems. And that's kind of true in the ICS world as well. You have industrial control systems that are, you know, still in operation. If it, if it isn't broke, don't fix it kind of mentality. Um, and then you've got them hooking up to the internet. Um, whereas satellite systems, you know, they were, they were hooking them up via RF communication links and, and multiple ground sites being connected to each other, you know, either, through um, SATCOM terminals and uh, even sometimes, you know, analog phone lines, you know, over dial-up modems, that sort of thing. Um, and so there's there's just a lot of challenges there with those systems because, you know, are there the budgets there to to you know modernize them to protect them? Um, and how do you 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 fix a system or or secure a system that's already in operation that's in space, right? Um, so a lot of the concepts that you know we're visiting in Hackasat is about designing secure systems, but also about you know bringing into that thought process about, you know, as you're designing these systems, how do you make them future proof, um, you know, throughout uh, the lifespan of those vehicles? And that's, 
you know, something we, you know, the community at large, the aerospace community at large, wasn't really thinking about um, probably when they were designing these vehicles, you know, 10, 15, 20, you know, 30 years ago in some cases. And forgive my ignorance here, but uh, I'm going to ask anyway, the, What's the oversight landscape look like? <laughs> I, I presume there's a lot of uh, government entities building these things and uh, certainly commercial entities building these things. Um, I don't know if the people that are building them are also running and managing and maintaining them. Is there something equivalent to an FAA that, that kind of keeps track of who's doing what? Uh, and I don't know, if not just managing uh, the, the location of the devices, but who, who's running the overall oversight? Is, is there an overall oversight? Is, 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 I, I would think NASA is a good example, but I doubt they're looking at every satellite. Yeah, so, and that's certainly not on a global perspective either. Yeah, you, you got to think about that from from an international perspective, not just from a, you know, from what we do maybe in uh, the United States, right? Um, I know there's certain standards for like the communication links, like you have to, you know, adhere to like FCC filings and things like that for different bands of operation. Um, but, you know, and obviously to the vehicle design uh, parameters just to make so sure the vehicle will survive uh, in outer space, which is a pretty hostile environment. Um, but I, I don't, I mean, maybe Logan, you can elaborate on if there's, if there's standards beyond just the, the vehicle specs and the, the communication links and things like that. Um, I'm not aware of, of, of too many, but uh, Logan's would probably be better suited yeah, for that question. I'm sure. So overall, there's really not like a, a, a standards organization or even a, you know, a, a piece of the government that says, you know, it's responsible for making sure everybody operates their satellites safely, um, especially, you know, in, in this you know, age where anybody with some money can, you know, build a small satellite, contract a launch and, and launch them, you know, in, in, in mass, um, you know, so I think, you know, like Jason said, the, the radio sides of things is, you know, regulated by the FCC. So you can't just, you know, transmit, you know, data up to, up to a satellite without having licensing that's in the U S outside of the U S you know, you might be dealing with the regulator for another country on all this, um, to my knowledge is, you know, all kind of managed with some, you know, UN treaty kind of stuff that is, you know, not really enforceable. So, you know, as you can imagine, you know, there's probably, you know, there's probably good actors and bad actors in, in, you know, the way that these space systems are being operated and maintained. Um, from a security standpoint, there's definitely nobody, uh, you know, I know that saying, you know, thou shalt build systems this way, at least in the commercial side of things, you know, I think commercial companies are, are, you know, adopting security practices because it's in their commercial interests to do so. It's, yeah. you know, it's not any government entity saying that they should do it. And then on the government side, uh, that's a whole different game. And, you know, I think that depends entirely on, on you know, the agencies and, and who's, who's running it on how that's all handled. Yeah, it's a very complex um, problem because it's, you know, space is a shared domain um, for, you know, for multiple nations, right? Uh, and so, you know, whatever standards we might come up with uh, within the U.S., um, getting broad adoption across the international community is going to be a challenging thing. I do think there is some push for that, obviously, um, you know, uh, in light of like recent events and, and just the, the trend, you know, like the Viasat hack, hack and so forth. Um, but as, as far as I'm aware today, there's, you know, there's no adopted standard like cybersecurity standards for space systems uh, that exist. And... 
Yeah, I want to touch on the, the technology in, uh, in the vehicle in a second, but just sticking with this um, kind of an oversight view. So you, you mentioned there's no real security companies looking at this. And I'm, I'm familiar with having many conversations, obviously, on this podcast. I'm familiar with uh, dedicated railway, rail system <laughs> security. Uh, I don't know if it's an ISAC. I can't remember exactly that that point. Yeah. But, uh, but there are companies building or at least analyzing the risk in that in the railway space and then building products to help secure them. We know in ICS there's been a lot of interest in that in the last few years and companies uh, coming up for that. What What's space look like in that respect? And satellites more specifically even. Yeah, I think um, I did, there are probably companies out there looking at it, but I think for the vast majority of companies, it's the companies that are manufacturing their vehicles are the ones that are you know um, doing the cybersecurity side of things, right? Uh, managing it internally. Whereas I think you're alluding to in certain in, in certain industries now, we're having third party evaluation and um, things like that that are occurring. I'm not aware that that's you know happened, and and that's just a general trend. I think a lot in a lot of areas, right? You know, ICS systems as they became targets, uh, then there was a push for that. So that there was third party verification. Um, we're seeing, you know, that requirement within the DOD and their systems. Um, I would expect that to, to, to span into other systems in the aerospace uh, domain as well, you know, over time, you know, as, as cyber becomes a, such an important topic for a lot of these systems become more complex, more integrated and, and more and more communication links that are um, vulnerable to attack. Um, but I, I don't know that I answered your question just because I, I don't necessarily know the answer to it. So Yeah, that's fine. I, I was just curious. Um, it's not, not critical. What, what I think is more, more important uh, is to spend some time on how, how we analyze what's going on. And, and to be honest, guys, I mean, the, the satellite I have in my backyard, I'm not going to let anybody play with. I spent far too much on it. So no, nobody's going to hack my own satellite. That's a real problem. <laughs> we ac we actually experienced. Um, funny you said that, Sean. We actually experienced this on Hackasat. Um, you know, so the competition when we we first started working on the competition and designing that competition, we uh, went around and asked within the aerospace community, um, "Hey, could could we borrow one of your satellites?" Um, and you know, went to these companies and went within the you know, the U.S. government and um, the pushback was was real. Most most I, I think every company we encountered said, no way. Um, we're not putting our satellite on display to let hackers attack it. Um, and and so what we ended up doing for Hackasat is is in, in light of not having a real satellite, we designed our own um, an exemplar satellite that was representative of real systems, you know, incorporating software and, and architecture from real system just because nobody was willing to do that. Right. Like. You're now seeing like uh, at DEF CON um, in the car hacking village, right? Uh, Tesla and other car companies are donating cars, um, you know, and people are, are, are able to go to DEF CON and they're actually able to look at these systems. Um, maybe that needs to be something that the aerospace community considers, you know, bringing some of these, you know, systems uh, to these hacking competitions to light so that it isn't such a, an obscure system anymore. Um, it becomes more in the public domain so that the, the public and these really you know, resourceful and capable hackers that exist uh, can have a chance to look into these systems and evaluate them. Yeah, and I'm glad you, you, you brought up the uh, car hacking village. I know the aerospace village uh, has 
support from uh, the aerospace industry as well. Primarily, I know this is driven thanks in part to our good friend uh, Steve at the Aerospace Village uh, that put us in contact with each other. Um, but having access is certainly critical. So I'm, I'm just gonna, I was joking, but uh, mainly to make this point <laughs> that that uh, we need the support of industry, right, yeah. and the government, yep. uh, the, the makers of these things. So tell me a little bit about, uh, I'm not going to go down the risk path because we'll spend too much time on all the things that can <laughs> happen there. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Hacksat 3, let, let's talk about the history. What, what was the original one like? Uh, has the mission changed uh, since the first edition of it? Uh, tell me a little bit about what's going on at the event. I'll try to go through it quick because, um, you know, we are in our third year, so there's a, there's quite a bit of history there. Um, but, uh, you know, I think it all, it started some time ago, there was a, the group of people within the government and, um, they basically posed the questions, what, you know, what it would, we want to do a competition around hacking satellites and, um, Cromulence got involved because of our work that we had done, uh, prior with, uh, DEF CON capture the flag, the members, some of the members of Cromulence were on, uh, one of the teams that hosted, uh, DEF CON, uh, capture flag, myself included. And, um, and so we just went out to, I believe we went out to, um, to Virginia and uh, uh, the launch site there uh, on the coast. And we all got together and we just brainstormed this competition. And so in the first year, we came up with this concept that we would be hacking back a satellite. Uh, so we were, um, the concept was that an adversary, you know, had hacked the ground station uh, and a space vehicle and had gained control of it or so something like that had occurred. And so year one, uh, the teams were basically hacking through from the, from starting from position of the ground station, you know, attack the ground station, get, gain control of the ground station, get the crypto keys, then communicate up with the space vehicle, and then pivot through the different components in the space vehicle and regain control. Um, and that was a, a very scenario-based um, concept for Hackasat one uh, finals. Uh, so the teams were not in direct competition with each, each other necessarily. Um, they were working all working on independent vehicles um, that we had we had built um, a, a basically a rotating uh, environment that rotated about every 15 minutes uh, on and the vehicles were on air bearings floating in these acrylic spheres and so they had a single axis control authority with a reaction wheel on it and the final objective of their um, of the challenge was to rotate the vehicle in the room uh, and take a picture of a paper moon on the wall. Um, and then downlink that uh, to the ground station and, and, and submit that to us as organizers to, to prove that they had done that. I believe uh, one single team, uh, you know, at the last minute was able to do that um, and get through that. There was a lot of different challenges involved with that. And then we evolved, you know, Hackasat uh, into, let's make it a little bit more of a, um, what is known in the CTF community as kind of an attack defense style game. Um, so there was certain aspects of the game where the teams could actually um, send commands to, to, to their uh, opponent's satellites uh, and tack each other's satellites. Um, and so we, we evolved the, the realism of the game um, with more realistic space systems and so forth uh, in Hackasat 2. And then, um, you know, we got a lot more coming on, on Hackasat 3, but I can't really uh, talk too much. Maybe I'll let Logan field any, anything there, but that's pretty much the origins of it. Um, and a lot of it came from just, you know, like you said, was bringing that awareness to the community. The, these systems are, are vulnerable to hacking uh, and that we need to 
uh, secure these systems, and we need to get this uh, cybersecurity community and the aerospace community working together. You know, and and that's exactly what teams did to win, um, as they brought these two different, I'd say, multiple disciplines together to form a team uh, to 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 work through these scenarios. Because this is not just a cybersecurity competition. This is you know this is a you know this involves satellites and space systems and so and you know so forth. And so it requires pretty capable teams to to solve these challenges and to to even uh, compete in Hackasat at the level ne- needed to get to finals. Yeah, I love that. Maybe Logan has some additional points here, but I'm just wondering, kind of to that last point, Jason, what what is required? Um, can you take somebody who, who's uh, been hacking Windows 98 <laughs> <laughs> uh, for years or who, who manages uh, manages an enterprise uh, IT stack that uh, is primarily Linux and, and, and Microsoft? Um, does that stuff transfer over? Um, I think some it? of the concepts do, but uh, you know, to get to, to really compete in Hackasat, um, you've got to understand so many disciplines. So Logan can go into maybe all the details, but we challenge yeah, a, across the domain. Um, so it's not just you know, can I you know uh, um, assess a you know software binary or you know system or something like that. It's it's orbital orbital dynamics. It's um, understanding protocols, RF communications. You know, we we challenge people. You know, across the spectrum of of all these dis- dis- dip- disciplines, which is kind of really unique, I think, with space systems. You know, for the cybersecurity community, because spacecraft are are complex systems. They're complex. You know, they got sensors, actuators. They've got you know physics involved. You know, there's RF communications. You know, all of these very complex you know engineering um, fields. To, to make these systems work. And so that's one of the elements of Hackasat. Logan, could you just maybe explain some of the, all the different things, you know, um, about it? Sure, like, like Jason said, you know, space systems in general are systems of systems. So, you know, your, your usual um, terrestrial cybersecurity expert, you know, might be comfortable on the ground network side of a space system. You know, that's gonna look a lot like other ground networks, you know, servers running, applications, you know, doing uh, normal, you know, IP communications, um, you know, doing normal things, data processing, all that kind of stuff. Well, then, you know, on the other side, you have, you know, spacecraft experts who understand the, the, the engineering and hardware for spacecraft. Um, those people, you know, might understand, you know, the, the embedded systems type stuff, how to, how to, you know, how different the protocols and electronics and sensors and and all that stuff works. Then you have a whole other group of people like the spacecraft operators. These are the people that actually know how to you know, make a spacecraft do what it needs to do in space. Um, and you need to bring all of these people together to, to be able to compete at a high level in Hackensat. You need to be able to, you know, and work together. Because let's say um, you have a challenge um, where, you know, the binary is a binary running on the spacecraft. Well, you might need to, you know, do something special to even get that binary downloaded from the spacecraft to, to even start performing analysis on it. Um, and to do that, you know, you need to be able to bring in other experts to be able to help even, you know, operate this, the spacecraft safely before you'd even be able to, you know, make progress on, on, on other aspects of, or challenges that are part of the game. And I guess overall, we're trying to, you know, bring complexity into a interesting, CTF game where it makes sense to you know show the complexity of space systems and and highlight 
you know, different pieces of architecture, different parts of the systems where vulnerabilities might exist, where, you know, we at least want to like, you know, make industry and government and all of them think, oh, these are things that, you know, we need to be thinking about that are important um, aspects of security. Um, while also, you know, providing an interesting, you know, thing, you know, game for, for all these like high level teams to play. Yeah. And, and Logan, maybe, or Jason, whoever, um, are there things that folks in the aerospace and satellite space uh, do think about differently, need to think about differently with respect mm -hmm. to cybersecurity? I'm just thinking how many times have we heard the CIA triad, right? Confidentiality, integrity, and availability. Uh, is there a fourth or fifth leg to that? Um, do, do folks look at things from like the NIST framework, uh, identify, protect, recover, respond, I, respond yeah, that kind of stuff? I'm getting in the I wrong order, but... For yeah, me, right. Sean, you know, one thing, because I wasn't a space guy, you know, like like Logan, uh, for me that, you know, what I learned a lot about space vehicles, you know, was just the resiliency and the reliability aspect of it. Um, recovery of the vehicle is first and foremost in uh, space system designers like heads, you know, uh, which sometimes can come in conflict with some of the cybersecurity aspects of it, like, you know, uh, you, you, you've experienced it yourself. Like if you fail to log in three times, you get locked out, right? You have to have another way of unlocking it. Right. I just, this is just an analogy, just a simple analogy, but you know, in a space vehicle, if you like maybe encrypt the firmware or something like that, and then maybe you have a, an error in the decryption key or something like that, the vehicle just doesn't work anymore. Um, and so that might be a design aspect that makes it more secure, but it also make make it less reliable. Um, so if, you know, on to that point, you know, that was one of the things that was really uh, eye opening to me is like, oh, well, you can't just do some of these things or you have to think about it differently or you have to make different type of decisions that you would on maybe, you know, ground system components that a human can get access to or that you have other communication methods to. But on these space vehicles, it's up in space and you're not getting it back. And if you've got a 10, 100 million dollar, billion dollar satellite, something goes wrong or whatever. And do maybe one of your security mechanisms kicks in. Um, then, you know, you just lost that, that thing. Right. And that's, you know, so you want to have backups and redundancy. Um, so that's, that's one thing from, from me at least that I observed. And does that change how, so certainly it changes how you define the security requirements and, and policies and implement it, of course. Um, does that change how, how the, uh, the CTF plays out then? Um, I don't know, because it sounds like if you know, well, I guess I guess the question might be better put as, do we know what some of those policies are? Do we know that there won't be uh, three failed logins <laughs> because we know that will brick the system? Or we know if we won't allow these types of injections to occur because it'll destroy the data and, and disrupt communications and it'll brick the system. Does, does sure. it change things like that? So I think from the CTF side of things, you know, we try and build a, a, a system for the game that has realism in those areas where it makes sense. And then where we can, you know, as designers kind of step back and say, um, I, you know, with the system we build first, and then, you know, second, if it's really you know, difficult to build, you know, those safeguards in, you know, we can always have rules and stuff like that saying, you know, don't be going and dosing, you know, 
everybody because you know while you might be able to do that in real life you know it makes you know a a ctf very boring if you know you can just you know if one you know one team can just make you know make it so nobody can do anything um but you know in general space systems from an architectural level have you know lots of vulnerabilities in them and most of them are there intentionally like jason was saying and they're built into them to you know make the systems reliable resilient and recoverable um because yeah in space you can't get it back and you know you want to be able to you know if something happens and something changes you want to be able to maybe you know change the software of the of the vehicle you know 10 years down the line to, to you know to do something slightly different or slightly better right and if you have any of that kind of stuff built in there's inherent risk in and you know security vulnerabilities that are going to exist. Yeah, it's funny because in the competition, there's, you know, we we implemented some of the uh, software from from real space systems like a NASA Core Flight software, and and just some of the services are like download memory, poke memory, you know, <laughs> um, you know, just simple commands like that, and and they make sense for a space vehicle because like if you space vehicles behaving anomalously. Right, you might want to know what's going on. So read memory. You know, did is memory corrupted? Is one of these tables corrupted? Right. Um, likewise, let me change one of the parameters in that table. Right. Just send a command, poke the memory in the table, and change it. You know, um, and those are things like in the cybersecurity community, like what? Why? Why would you, you know, like write directly to memory command? Like that's a, that's absurd. But um, you know, they take for granted. I think, and I don't know that it's necessarily taken for granted. I, probably poor choice of words there, but you know, they, they implement these things for, for specific reasons, right. For la like Logan said, it's resiliency, reliability, recovery, but you know, and so that, you know, those are some challenging concepts for both the cyber. And that's why we kind of need cybersecurity community to work with the aerospace community because they can bring into light, like maybe, you know, poke memory shouldn't just poke all the memory. Maybe it should, you know, poke a certain, certain memory addresses and hmm. maybe you should have protected commands or maybe you have some security guards or level, privilege levels and certain things like that, right? Introduce those concepts. And those concepts I, I'm sure are being introduced, you know, as, you know, people are looking into these systems, you know, um, but, you know, that's just kind of one of those eye-opening things for me anyways that I thought was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Isolating commands, separation of duties, off authentication and those types of things. Um, so as we come up to uh, the, the end of uh, end of the conversation here, I wanted to maybe quickly touch on the because what we've talked about thus far is kind of identifying weaknesses and and exploiting them as part of the CTF. Do you know if there is any monitoring <laughs> for these types of activities, and is that part of the CTF at all? To are you are you watching what the teams are doing and, and observing signs of of uh, potential malicious activity? So we as the organizers, you know, we have built in our own instrumentation um, where we can, you know, monitor what's happening in the game. We can see, you know, to the best of our knowledge, what teams are doing. Um, you know, we just need that kind of stuff to be able to, you know, even score the game and figure out who's winning. Um, so from that. Um, aspect, yes, we have, you know, that level of monitoring to understand, um, you know, what's happening, which allows us, you know, at least, you know, also then go back and see, you know, how did, how did teams do what they did and, you know, understand what happened. Yeah. Logan, can you talk about maybe like space systems, you know, the monitoring that, you know, they have 
you know, like at the ground station level, like, like all the commands sure. that have been sent to the vehicle, you know, downlink all the data, you know, yep. recording that, capturing that. Yep. So, I mean, I think, you know, as systems have modernized and, you know, all, you know, all, you know, requirements to log everything have, you know, slowly percolated their way into space systems. Um, I think there has been, you know, a, um, an effort to, you know, at least like log the types of commands, the data going up to spacecraft and, you know, and even, you know, capture like the raw binary, you know, and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, even if, you know, something were to happen, you know, after the fact, you could go and, you know, and perform analysis and figure out what may have happened in like, you know, a link if like a, a command went badly or something like that. Um, <clears throat> but in general, um, you know, as far as like, you know, the actual systems, um, in general, it's been, you know, it's hard to monitor, you know, embedded systems, especially when they're purpose built and, you know, running, you know, older technology that's you know, space rated. So like, you know, it's hard to do, you know, real time monitoring actually in space. So on the ground, you know, if it's a terrestrial system, um, you can imagine that, you know, most of like, you know, the monitoring stuff is probably happening somewhere, you know, you'd see in, you know, normal kind of network systems. Um, but, you know, I think that the, the, the space community has been slower to adopt a lot of that stuff than, you know, the commercial web community that, you know, got, you know, hit by, you know, all the hacking and all that stuff so much quicker um, and you know, learned their lesson much faster in terms of adopting those kinds of practices. <laughs> yeah, they don't have, you know, CISOs and things like that sitting on the vehicle <laughs> watching every command on the bus, right? Um, <laughs> like you might be able to have in a, in a corporate network environment or something like that. Um, just because the data is precious for a satellite, right? Like down, downlink and uplinking data is, is a precious thing, right? So you want your payload, you know, focused on that primarily. You don't want, you know, like a, a cybersecurity person, you know, just sitting there, uh, you know, right. poking at the vehicle all the time. Um, one thing they do have, though, is they do have, um, you know, other vehicles, you know, the same class. They have um, satellite simulators and flat sats and things like that. So they have they have representative systems on the ground so they can they can kind of replay, you know, their commands back to those satellite simulators and see how it should behave, you know, and compare it against the real vehicle. And I, you know, you know, there's there's a lot there, you know, that goes on. That's a whole domain in and of itself. Right. Um, is you know, simulating these vehicles and so forth. Uh, super, super exciting. We we didn't get to uh, what's actually in a vehicle technology wise. So, <laughs> so maybe you guys will, will come back and we can have another conversation on that. Uh, before we go, though, um, two things. One, there's Hackasat 4 is on the horizon. Um, I don't know who wants to share that. And then uh, maybe maybe somebody... The other one, if you can share a final call to action for the more immediate one in, in a few weeks, Hackazette 3, how folks can uh, can join you. So who wants to share what's on the horizon for? for I'll, I'll let Logan handle the, the Hackazette 4 one. Sure. So Hackazette 4 is going to be the first uh, CTF in space. It's going to be against a spacecraft that's launching next year um, called Moonlighter. Um, this is um, going to be put on by, by the government. Um, they're funding the launch of the spacecraft and the competition for Hackasat 4 is actually going to be um, conducted on board a real spacecraft in space. So the teams that are the finalists for um, the Hackasat 4 finals next year will um, you know, have a, a very interesting problem and competition um, for them to play. 
uh, and go up against it. That's super cool. Super cool. So that that's out there 2023 and uh, Jason more, more immediate. Uh, how, how can folks connect with you for? Uh, yeah. I mean, first, stuff? yeah. First and foremost is uh, go to www.hackasat.com. Um, that's, you know, going to be the definitive source for all the information. I, I just went there myself and uh, there's a countdown uh, to the final event, which is, you know, at 21 days, 19 hours, 13 minutes and 36 seconds. So, um, and then obviously, um, you know, Hackasat, we have uh, Twitter uh, as well. Um, and so you can check out our, our, our tweets um, for, for live event competition. And that's going to be the, you know, the best way for, for spectators uh, to get involved. There's eight teams, uh, eight of the, these, these teams are, are fantastic. Um, we've, we've watched a lot of these teams over the last couple of years now compete in this competition and, and just surprise us as the organizers, you know, do some amazing things. Um, there'll be live uh, live streams that'll go on uh, during the event that will be posted uh, so people can get that. Um, I believe that gets posted to YouTube. And we, we go into detail and talk about some of the competitions uh, elements that these teams are solving and some of the unique things that they're doing. Uh, it's really just some, some very interesting stuff. It, and you can look at uh, some of the stuff we did la previous years to get an idea of just what, you know, what's in store for these teams and what's coming up. Um, but, you know, the definitive source is, is our website, so www.hackasat.com. And uh, it's only 21 days away now. And so I'm, I'm really excited about it. I'll be out there with, with the guys and, and you know, we're, it's, it's always a fun ride. It's a, an interesting 36 hours, I think, is how long the competition is. And um, the teams are they're all probably getting itchy and preparing and, and you know, um, you know, all thinking about it, you know, um, because it's, you know, they put forth a lot of effort um, for this competition. There's a lot riding on it. Um, and, and these teams, like I said, are just truly fantastic. Um, you know, some of them, you know, 50 players are involved in some cases. And, and it's a sight to see for sure. I love it. And uh, sounds like there's plenty of room for spectators to, uh, to participate, <laughs> even if you're not going to. Uh, be behind uh, a, a very uh, important keyboard during those 36 hours. And I have to say, there's, there's a ton of resources on your site as well. Yeah, Jason, Logan, it's a pleasure to chat with you. And uh, congratulations on the third anniversary of, uh, of this event and exciting things coming with Hackasat 4. So thanks for joining us here. And uh, for everybody listening, as noted, there'll be links in the show notes. Uh, learn more about the event and uh, connect with Logan and Jason if you want and of course uh, we'll, we'll continue to have more conversations on this topic and others as we continue to redefine cybersecurity. thanks everybody thank you Sean thanks for hosting us thank you Sean Asgardia by WSO2 is a developer focused identity and access management solution offered as identity as a service or IDAS Asgardio by WSO2 creates seamless login experiences to your apps in minutes. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues.
If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.